Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, and welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey, and joining me are co-host Mel. Mel, good to see you. Good to see you too. Hey there, how's it going? It's going well because it's warming up. The weather's warming up. That means I'm going to take my kids to the zoo. And here's what I want to do. I want to I want to talk about the zoo today because let's talk about the zoo. It because here's what I know. I know that you have a really great zoo in your city, right? It is so good. And you know what? I think I read this recently. It's like the only free zoo in America that's left. Wait, it's Every- free. It's free. I mean, parking is kind of expensive and not everything inside the zoo, but to actually get in the zoo, it's free. Get out of here. I had no idea. That's amazing. We have to do zoo memberships. So you pay for like a membership or you could pay just like a one-time entry fee. It definitely is way worth doing the membership because you get your money back after like two visits in Indianapolis, (laughs) but it's nowhere near the St. Louis Zoo. I've heard the St. Louis Zoo is amazing. It is. It's amazing. We have been coming to the zoo since we first moved here three years ago. And I have got to tell you the funniest story about Please. one of our... Well, that's where I was going because I knew with all of your kids and your zoo experience, there had to be a funny story in the McIsaac family. <laughs> yeah. So we go there pretty often. I mean, at one point we were going like every week, every other week, my daughter started calling it her zoo. I had to inform her that we are just guests, but it's like the polar bear was her friend, Callie. And she was just, she would walk <laughs> in and she would know exactly what animals she wanted to see in the same order. And so (laughs) anyway, um, something that we did not know. So we moved here in the spring of 2016. And what I didn't know and what I quickly found out is that the first few days where it starts to get above 60 degrees, every person in like a hundred mile radius comes to the zoo. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. That's what I'm saying. As soon as it gets warm, it's like, oh, let's go to the zoo. I don't know why. Where have you guys been? Yeah. So we go to, so I I wake up and we're like, okay, we're going to go to the zoo today. My daughter's so excited. And you know, with little kids, you can't just say, hey, we're going to go to the zoo and just back out. It's like you, you've mentioned it. You've got to commit. So we are meeting a friend there for a play day and we actually followed each other out there and we're going to the zoo. And there's a parking lot that's connected to our zoo, but it's like $15. And so um, all the other times that I'd gone to the zoo, we just parked on the street. And so I was like, okay, let's just find a street parking. Davey, it felt like like it was like a two mile walk to the entrance. And maybe that's a little bit of exaggeration, but not that much. And so we find, we're like circling for like 30 minutes trying to find a parking spot. And something about me is I'm like a... I can do anything I put my mind to kind of person. Yeah. So we find a parking spot and I pull into it really quick. Cause we've been, you know, just circling this area. And my friend kind of looks at me and like shrugs her shoulder. Like, I don't know where I'm going to find a parking spot. And I just look at her and I'm like, no baby, you're getting in this parking spot. We're going to put <laughs> both of us in this parking spot. We promised our babies a zoo visit and we're going. And nice. so sure enough, I had, I mean, my baby, I had just had a baby like a month before. And so here I am with my newborn and my toddler, like standing outside, directing my friend in because it was parallel parking. And <laughs> I, we, our cars were touching. It was so funny. And I was pretty convinced there was no way we were going to be able to get out of this um, unless somebody besides us left. But sure enough, we got That's our awesome. kids to the zoo and had a great day. That's awesome. Well, at least you didn't have to park next to each other. Maybe you pull the old like minivan trick, you know, and you just go right next to each other because you don't have to open the doors. I know. But you guys were parallel. So that's perfect. That's perfect. We love the zoo. Our kids absolutely, absolutely enjoy it. Um, 
Weston, I'll never forget the first time I took Weston to the zoo. He he didn't understand the concept of the glass. So he, <laughs> yeah, so I took him to the, the tiger exhibit and he did not realize that there no. was glass there. And so the kid just lost his, I mean, like ballistic, like he was freaking out because he thought the tiger was coming. And at one point the tiger just starts like pacing directly at him. And then right when the tiger gets to the glass, just kind of cuts a right angle turn and just goes right by him. But Weston's face, I mean, at this oh, point he's 16, buddy. 17 months old. He was, he was like, <gasps> eyes wide open, you know, freaking out. And he's backing up against me and I'm like laughing. I'm like, it's okay, buddy. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. Oh but man. That would be terrifying for a little terrifying. kid. If you had, yeah. Terrifying. The first time I tried to take him to the zoo, he was watching Daniel Tiger. And I was like, buddy, let's go, like, let's go see a real tiger, you know? And he, I like turned off Daniel Tiger and he's, he starts losing his mind because he didn't want me to turn off the show. And I'm like, no, dude, we're going to go see a real tiger. I'm pretty <laughs> sure he was... After I showed him the real tiger, he was probably not happy with me, given the fact that he didn't understand the glass concept. But the zoo's fun. It's a blast. It's a blast. The reason I mention that is because our interview today is with a remarkably fascinating woman named Erica Camacha. Can we just stop there and admire her last name? Well, yeah. I don't even know if I pronounced it right. Um, Camacho, Camacha. She lives in Mexico. And the way we got connected to her is um, my beautiful wife lived in Mexico for a couple of years teaching at a school that this, this is fascinating. This school is an American school in Puebla, Mexico. Have you ever seen Denzel Washington, Man on Fire? Yes, have I have seen that? seen that movie. Okay. So like the, the kidnapping, the hostage, you know, the bodyguards that are taking their kids. So this school was not necessarily the school that this setting took place, but it was like a school just like this. Oh, wow. In the same city that 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 story took place, Puebla. And so uh, you got bodyguards taking the kids. So Christy taught there, and one of the kids that she taught um, was a young man, and his family was the Camacho family. And just an incredibly fascinating story, but they own an African safari. They don't call it a zoo, an African safari. (laughs) But it's actually called Africam for Camacho, Africam safari. But it's this thing that you would never get away with being able to do in the United States. (laughs) Incredible safari experience in the middle of Mexico, but their story is fascinating. And there's some tragedy in it. There's some Mm. hardship in it. There's some pulling together, uh, a tremendous story of faith through the whole process. Um, But man, I just, I can't wait for you to hear this interview with uh, with Erica. It's awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Before we dive into her interview, we are actually giving away, if you're listening on the day this releases, um, Emily Freeman's book, The Next Right Thing, on our Instagram account. And so all you have to do is hop on over to Nothing Is Wasted Ministries and like the photo, tag your friends, tag your dentist and your doctor and the grocery (laughs) store lady, anybody, and and tag us many for any extra entries. And we'll be announcing the winner soon. But apparently, I, I mean, it just makes sense. The next right thing to do is enter into this giveaway. That is the next right thing to do. That's absolutely right. And the next right thing to do is go follow us on Instagram because there'll be more giveaways in the future, more behind the scenes stuff. So make sure you follow Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. While you're at it, while you're doing some of those things, go ahead and rate and review the podcast. We'd really appreciate it. If this has blessed you, if this has really ministered to you, we'd definitely appreciate it if you go and rate and review that. That would help us out a lot. Awesome. Well, let's, let's listen to Erica's story now.
Hey, Erica, welcome to the Nothing is Wasted podcast from Mexico. It's good to have you on. Hi, Davey. Thanks for having me. <laughs> you have an absolutely fascinating story that I uh, learned of through my beautiful wife, Christy, who's also joining us. Hey, guys. And um, I'm so excited about our listeners hearing this story because honestly, when Christy was telling me about your family, I really, I honestly thought she was making up some of these stories. I'm like, there's no way that you had these kinds of adventures, that any family anywhere has these kinds of adventures, that anybody has this kind of life. And it turns out to be true. Yeah. Yeah. They became my second family when I was there. Yeah. My Mexican family. Your Mexican family. And I knew it was true. Like the, the, the moment I knew it was true was when they came to our wedding mm-hmm. weekend and Erica, you guys were there and I was like, oh wait, they really do exist. <laughs> <laughs> but I would love for you just to tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us what you guys, where you guys live, what you guys do. Just fill us in on the Camacha family a little bit. Okay. So, uh, we live in Puebla, Mexico and, um, can I tell you how we met Christy? Yeah, I would love that. Yeah. Okay, so um, uh, Christy was um, my son's teacher, and she was really a blessing to us because she came in a really um, in a moment of my life when I was going like uh, I was ill, and um, she was Antoine's teacher, and she was so good to him and to us. So she's been a blessing. To our family. So that's how I, we met her. Yeah. And during that time, I remember you just had a lot of chronic fatigue and you went to multiple doctors and nobody knew what was going on. I remember Antoine was going through a lot during that time too, with the way he would write in his journals and everything. And, and so we bonded a lot, me and him, and then me and you through that, uh, which was really neat. So um, yeah, Christy was like, like an angel because, you know, my, my illness was really tough on my kids. And um, having her as as Antoine's teacher was really really helpful. And and Antoine one time he came over and he said, um, "Mom, I really like my teacher and she loves monkeys. So I would like her to come over to the safari and see the monkeys." So we did. <laughs> so we invited her over, and our friends friendship began. It was. Great. Oh, that's amazing. I had no idea that's why he wanted to invite me. He used to invite me all the time. I was like, yeah, Antoine, one day, one day I'll go and visit. And I thought, okay, it's just a normal zoo. You know, it's, it's whatever. Um, and then when we went, it's an African safari. <laughs> like animals are walking around by themselves in the middle of a zoo. <laughs> okay. So hold on. Tell me, tell me a little bit about this. Like, this is what fascinated me when Christy told me about it. She's like, yeah. And she just kind of says it off the cuff. She's like, yeah, it's some of my friends in Mexico, they own a zoo. And all I could think about was that movie, you know, the, we bought a zoo, you know, <laughs> and, and, but you guys actually own a zoo. That's like a, a very well-known zoo in Mexico. I mean, it's been featured, I think on National Geographic and Animal Planet. Animal Planet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so tell me a little bit about this, this zoo that you guys have. So it's actually a safari park. It's a wildlife conservation park. Uh, my father loved animals, but he didn't want them to be in cages. He wanted them to be free. And um, he wanted to, the people to be in their cars, you know, in, in cages, like, um, and just be able to see the animals roam free. So yeah, it is a safari and we've lived among wild animals ever since I was born. We used to have lions and tigers instead of dogs and, you know, crocodiles instead of lizards and stuff like that. So yeah, we would watch TV 
on top of the lion's belly and they were like our best friends. So it was like a crazy family. <laughs> that is fascinating. I've, um, I've always wanted, like as a child, I've always been like, especially when the Lion King came out, the movie, you know, the Disney movie, I like loved Simba. I was singing all the songs. Of course we showed it to our kids. They're singing all the songs, you know, just can't wait to be king, all of that. But I always wanted like a little lion cub as a pet. And anytime I would ask my mom, they would look, my parents would look at me like I'm absolutely ridiculous. They would just roll <laughs> their eyes like that doesn't, you don't do that. But you guys literally did that. That's like, that's your life. We did that. Yeah. Now we know we're not supposed to have them as pets, right? Uh, we learned <laughs> the hard way. Yeah. But at the beginning, yeah, when my um, little brother was born, the gift that my father gave to my mom was a little lion cub. So um, <laughs> we were used to that kind of life. And they were in our house, all these wild animals, even penguins and flamingos and uh, crocodiles in the little lake. So we would run so that the crocodiles wouldn't come and catch us, you know, cause we were just, they were just there and the tiger and we would just play with them. Um, so that people from Puebla would come over to our house to see the crazy man that had wild animals <laughs> in their house, you know? Wow. So that's how the collection started to grow. So, and it did, I mean, this, this safari has become a very well-known thing, especially in Mexico and the circles that you guys are in. Um, T tell me a little bit about even like what you guys do today. And then, and then in a second, we'll jump back because you guys have a, a very, um, a very touching and very tragic story, um, in your family. But, but tell me a little bit about today. Like what, what is that safari experience? What is it like? What are people able to experience if they were to come to your zoo or your safari, uh, right now? Yeah, so we, um, we do a lot of conservation programs. We um, take care of not only the animals that we have here, uh, but also we work uh, with programs um, like with the Mexican wo uh, wolf or the rhinos in Africa or all over. Um, so yeah, we just uh, really work really hard on these conservation programs. Which and you were we telling like, me about the rhino one. You were telling me about the rhino one and the, the uh, laser tag. Can you explain that a little bit? Because I think that's really neat. <laughs> so um, there's uh, all the brothers and sisters went to South Africa to, um, you know, the rhino is really endangered um, because they think that the horn is, you know, magical. So they, they really kill the, the rhinos in order to get the horn. So we went to this farm in Africa to see what we could do to help. And um, we, uh, we've been working with them. And right now we just opened a new uh, project that's like a laser tag. But um, it's just, uh, you know, it's a game. But part of that goes to help the rhinos in, in Africa to protect the rangers, to give them equipment and um uh, cameras and um, vests and the things they need to protect themselves from the poachers. So mm. we have a lot of different programs um, all over just to help the environment and the animals and everything. You know, we have a big responsibility that my dad, um, when he started this project, this crazy project, um, we just carried on and we are really committed to helping the animals all over the world. Wow. So now help me clear this up for me. I'm, I'm envisioning that there's like, you're shooting 
rhinos with the laser tag or is it like you're going through a maze and you're shooting each other with the laser tag or like how does that what does it actually look like okay so here in Puebla at a, at a mall we have this venue and um we have this laser tag game it's like uh it's a way to get involved the the people the young people or anybody who really wants to go and have some fun and play and it's actually themed mm. um and you go and you save a little rhino. So from, as you're having fun, we are instructing people and we're telling them what the problem is, you know, what's happening in Africa and how they can all help. That's amazing. That's awesome. So it's, it's kind of like a, a fun way to raise awareness um, about what's going on with rhinos in Africa. And, and you guys have been able to put that in the mall and be able to really get the word out there about that. That is, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Erica, but so your dad was the one that s- had the idea and he kind of became known as the, the crazy guy who, who had this, I, this, all the animals, the wild animals, people would come and they'd, they'd see what he had going on. Um, and, and, and I understand there's, there's a pretty, um, there's a really cool touching story behind your parents and, and your dad and, and even a tragic story. Can you back up and just tell me more about your dad, more about your parents, how they met and how they got all of this started? Yeah. So um, my father was born in a little town in Puebla and he came from a really poor family. He was the oldest one of 14 uh, children. So when he was really young, like 16 years old, he uh, went to the United States illegally because he wanted to, uh, you know, get to work and get money for his uh, family. So he tried to get into the United States several times until um, finally he, uh, he, he went through. And he started working, uh, picking up uh, watermelons or any type of job that he could um, find. So he ended up working for a radio station, cleaning the radio station. And um, but he was a really smart guy, and um, he wanted to help people always. So um, he asked permission to this um, the owner of the radio station that if he could, uh, at the time where they weren't broadcasting, which was like at four o'clock in the morning, if he could use that time to talk to his um, fellow Mexicans that were living in the States. And the owner said, sure, nobody's using the cabin at that time, so just go ahead. So he started um, talking to his people and playing the music that they love because Mm -hmm. the the Mexicans would wake up really early in the morning to work the fields and everything. And they would just listen to the radio. So they started listening to the Carlos Camacho's program. And they loved it because they were somebody was um, taking care of them and, and playing their music and stuff. And later on, my father realized that these people didn't have access to um, medical service or anything because they were legal. So um, he um, started selling medicines to them because... Uh, he knew that they were getting sick and they had no way to get um, medical help. So he um, would tell, you know, the the workers, okay, write to me and tell me uh, what song you want me to play. And if you need a medicine, if you need anything, just send me a, um, a letter. 
So uh, the people would uh, write to him with all these different, um, you know, needs, and he would he would take care of them. And also, uh, they could listen the program uh, of the radio station. You could hear it uh, like on the north part of of Mexico, and um, it started to get really popular. And um, he would get letters from all over, and he would uh, put the families together like you know there was a mother in a little town and he would say oh um, I lost my son he went to the states to work and I haven't heard of him for many years so if you can find him for me and he would say oh uh, Juanita our so-and-so is looking for his son who left the state so this guy would write to him and he would uh, you know get the families together uh, because he would connect them through the through the station, so it got really really popular. And um, then he started to have his own. Um, uh, he started um, my laboratories, uh, his own brand of uh, medicine. So he would you know sell the medicine through the through the mail. Right now it's a really good business. You know the uh, mailing order back then it was just beginning. He, just um, started with it. So um, his radio station was very popular and his business was doing very good. So he invited his um, brothers to work with him and so that he could help his family. Um, On the other side of the microphone of the radio station was my mother. My mother was an American and she had like a special condition. Um, she would uh, sleep during the day and she would uh, be awake during the nighttime, like it was switched. And um, she loved uh, other cultures and Mexico and everything. So she would listen to the radio early in the morning to learn Spanish. And she would hear my dad and he had a very beautiful voice, and he was very um, likable, a likable person. So uh, my mom started falling in love with him. So she would listen to the radio every day. And finally, my father said, okay, so his business was doing really good. And he said, I'm going to go back to Mexico because I want to help my country and I want to start a business there. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna say goodbye to y'all because I'm going back to Mexico. So when my mom heard this, she said, "Oh, he's leaving, and I want to meet him." And so I'm just gonna go to the station and meet him. And my mother was a very beautiful woman, and so she did. She just got to the station and and she said, "I want to meet Carlos Camacho." So they fell in love right then. And um, we were born there. Um, the first, there's eight of us, eight kids. So the first six uh, kids were born there. And then we moved to Mexico and to continue his business and his hobby and other adventures. Wow. That is, that's like one of those stories that you like read in a, read in a book. Like it's not oh, I know. real. Yeah, and the cool thing about their siblings, there's eight of them, but they're named from the letters of the alphabet, starting with the first one. 
So can you, it's Amy and then. So it's Amy, Bianca, Carolina, Dayami, Erica, myself, Frank Carlos, Gregory, and Honorine. Yes. Wow. Well, it sounds like, I mean, your dad was a, an amazing entrepreneur, but also just a philanthropist. I mean, it sounds like that he had a true heart to help people. Uh, also, you know, translated into a true heart to help animals and this conservation project. But what a, I mean, what a unique guy. What an, what an amazing story that he and your mom had of meeting each other and the work that they were doing together. That's, that is fascinating. He lived the, the life of 10 men. Because, you know, he did so many things. He was a producer, a film, um, an actor. Uh, he had the, the largest balloon back then. And he would just fly on his balloon and he would crash his balloon and we would have to go look for him. Uh, and he would just play with the animals and he would do all kinds of things. He was really a crazy, amazing man. He had to have been an Enneagram Seven baby. Yes, that would like he's that would my, be like your spirit. He's, he's my your spirit, spirit animal. animal. That's true, yes. but that would be like your dream life. <laughs> oh yeah, that's wow, wow. So he goes he he goes back to Mexico then after you know um, this time, uh, and is this when he decided to to start the zoo or what what happened next? Well, um, he we would come to visit and and he started. Um, to do his business of pharmacies. He had pharmacies all over Mexico and we would come and go, but my mother loved Mexico. So um, she just wanted to stay. And my father said, okay, fine. So we'll just stay. And he got a, a, a house in uh, Valsequilla, which is like a, a place near Puebla, but it's surrounded by um, oak trees and a beautiful, very, very nice um Area, so that's where he started having this wild animals at the house, hmm. and um, as I said, as a hobby, he just wanted to um, have the animals free. So he started to get the land near the house. He bought the land so that he could have all his animals there um, in freedom. Wow! So he's he's doing this, and and um, tell us a little bit about you know. You, tragedy struck your life and the life, you know, of, of your, of your siblings, um, when your dad passed away, T tell me a little bit about that accident and what happened. Okay. So, um, four years after he founded the safari, um, there was an accident in the tiger section. Um, the animals are of course, um, surrounded by a safety, um, uh, wall, but uh, you can actually go in your with your car and see them. So uh, there was a family that got out of their car in the tiger section, and the tigers uh, wanted to, you know, come over and attack them. So my dad was always there in that section, in that area, and he got out of his car, and he actually saved the family and the tigers attacked him hmm. and he was actually wearing a gun but he said the the guns are to protect animals from people not to kill animals hmm. so he didn't use it or, or anything and um he uh he went to the hospital and after a while he died because of the wounds you know the infection of the wounds wow. and how old are you erica when that happened 
I was nine year old, nine, nine years old. Mm. So my mom was left with eight children in a foreign country. And it was just really, really tough for us because we had other businesses to take care of. Mm. We had the animals to take care of, the people, the, the employees, everyone uh, depending on, depended on us. So it was a really tragic time. You know, I could never, we could never think that that would happen. Mm-hmm. How did you guys, in the immediate aftermath of that, I mean, you just said so yourself. You had other businesses to take care of, the animals to take care of, employees who are counting on you. Your mom's now a single mom of eight people. Explain to me some more in detail. How, what, what was that like? How did you guys manage? Well, um, it was very hard because my mom got really sick after that. Um, so she was like in bed. She fell. She broke her ribs. Uh, we didn't know what had happened with her because she fell from the second floor, second story of the house. And uh, we didn't know why she had fallen and after they did some tests they found out that she had a tumor in her brain so she went into a coma and it was you know we had really really terrible times um, at that time because my mom was just so ill and um, we just carried on until she passed away four years after my dad and um it was really hard for all of us, as you can imagine. Wow. Yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, that truly, I mean, that's the definition of, of tragedy. You know, to have this wonderful life, your, your mom and your dad, this wonderful story, this wonderful love story, the good things that your dad was doing to really help the Mexican community and um, to help these animals. And then, you know, for him to to experience um, a tragedy like that or for you guys to experience that. And then four years later for your mom to pass away as well. Yeah. What was, I mean, now there's, there's eight of you guys as siblings and you're left by yourself. How did you guys handle that? No, it was so hard. Um, When my father passed away, um, you know, he was like our hero and everything and, just we just couldn't take it and I remember asking my mom mom promise me that you will never die that you will never leave us and she said um you know they taught us uh so many things at an early age that would stay with us for the rest of our lives and like my mom's always told us to be honest and to tell the truth and everything so when I asked her promise me that you're never gonna die she said no I am going to die. We're all going to die. I don't know when, but I'm going to die. So that was like, why is she telling me this? And four years later, and I said, oh, well, she told me the truth. She passed away. So at that time, I thought, okay, God, so this is what life's about. You take my father, then you take my mother. So you're going to take everyone that I care for. I thought, you know, I, I was living for a long time. Um, with that uh, fear that everyone around me was going to die. And I kept watching my sisters. Okay, when is she going to die? When is she going to die? And it was this um, 
just this feeling that I was going to be left alone. Mm. So it was, it, it was very hard for the whole family. But um, what we did as brothers and sisters is that we, um, we got really, really close since we didn't have anybody, anyone else to watch over us. My oldest sister was 17 at the time, and then 17, 16, 15 from, mm. from then on. And we had no one to take care of us. So we just looked at each other and we said, okay, so this is, this is what we have. So we better just hold on to each other. And that's what we've done throughout all our life. My brothers and sisters are my best friends mm. and my support and everything. So we have this just amazing relationship among us. It's just out of the ordinary because you know, we had to stay close so that we wouldn't fall apart. And that's how we survived. Wow. You know, often we see that it goes in one of two directions, um, that families can get completely torn apart by tragedy. There can be a lot of um, blame shifting. There can be a lot of um, just inability to process emotions. And so, uh, those emotions and, and that grief gets dumped on the other family members and it creates a wedge and separates them. And then we see other times where something like this happens and you guys respond in a way that says, no, we can we can pull together and we can unify and um, we can look after each other. And I think that's just remarkable what you guys have, have done. Um, I have a couple questions about that because you, you mentioned... Um, that for a little while you operated out of this fear of, okay, God, who else are you going to take from me? And I think that's very common. I think that's very normal. I know I've felt that before, um, especially after Amanda passed away. It, there was uh, my, my, my brain was reeling with, okay, what's going to happen to Weston? What's going to happen to Weston? What's going to happen to Weston? And I, I can remember vividly some just conversations with the Lord where, where I had been operating in that fear how do you, do you remember how you were able to kind of work through that and come out of that? Were you able to do that? How, how important was your, was that pushing back on God in those kinds of moments for you to be able to process this stuff? Well, um, a lot of people ask us, how did you manage, you know, being by yourself, eight, eight kids? And I honestly say, I don't know. But the only thing I know is that God was with us the whole time. Um, you know, we weren't alone. At the time, we felt like we were orphans, and we were, but not by God. I mean, He has always been there for us, always, because He had, He kept us safe, you know. Um, even though we were a vulnerable family, um, He kept us safe. Uh, so after a while, I just realized, well, we're still together. We're here. So God is watching over me. He's taking care of me. He's taking care of all of my brothers and sisters. And we found a way to survive um, by just being happy. You know, we were kids and we we're just happy because we didn't cry. We didn't want to cry in front of another sibling because we didn't want to upset him or, or you know, we didn't want him to be sad. So we were all just uh, trying to be happy. And after a while, a while, you realize, well, God has always been there for us. 
and kept us safe and together. And we all have wonderful lives and uh, we can feel that he watches over us and he takes care of us every single day. And yeah, we can just feel his love. Wow. Now, um, over the course, I mean, you were, when your mom died, you would have been 13, mm-hmm. right? 13. And the youngest, mm-hmm. the youngest of your siblings was how old at that time? Do you remember? Um, she was three when my dad passed away and, and she was six when my mom. Six when your mom away. passed away. Wow. Yeah. Very little. Well, so you guys had to, you know, not now, I mean, you were already facing this dilemma of we've got these businesses, we've got these employees, we've got people counting on us when your dad passed away, who he was the engineer behind a lot of that stuff. So it required that you guys had to band together and your mom was there and figure things out from a business perspective and kind of sort through, you know, we talk about the nothing on the nothing is wasted podcast, how, how to live, learn and lead through pain. There are a lot of people who are going through tragedy and trial and they still have a ton of responsibility on their plate. That's where you guys found yourself. And then even more so when your mom passes away, now it's eight of you guys, the oldest one being 17 years old, you've got all this responsibility on your plate what did that look like from a business perspective? Like, how did you guys manage that? Now, I, you know, I heard you say emotionally, it was like this, okay, only, only by banding together and, and trusting in God that he's protecting us. But what about from a business perspective? Cause that really fascinates me that eight from eight kids from the age of 17 to the age of six, were able to keep this thing alive and, and thriving and, and going even despite this tragedy. So, um, a lot of people took advantage of us, of course, you know, because mm. we didn't know how, how to work or anything. So people who came to help us um, really, you know, just stole from us. And But my mom taught us never to fight over material things and just let it go and don't, you know, don't worry about that. So... Um, it was hard for us because, you know, the money wasn't um, always there because people were just taking it. And my oldest sister started working and um, just trying to, you know, get things running. And she did an amazing job at that. And then my second oldest sister, she um, took care of us at the house, uh, making sure that we would study and that we would do our uh, responsibilities, right, and everything. So each one of my sisters had like a, a job, you know, in the family. And that helped a lot. Um, and we, the others, we just had to follow along and just uh, do our part. I remember um, my friends would say, oh, let's go over to the movies. And I would say, um, well, let me ask uh, my sister We'll see if she lets me or not. And she said, why do you have to ask your sister? You can do whatever you want. You have no parents, so just do whatever you want. And then I would say, no, my sister said that I couldn't go. And they just wouldn't get it. Mm. Um, My sister only was uh, two years older than I was. And still I had to obey her because that was my job, to just follow along and do what I was supposed to do. I couldn't just, you know, be crazy and everybody would do whatever they wanted. No, we had to, you know, do certain things to keep the family together and working. Uh, even though we didn't have parents, the, the, the family had to uh, grow and, and we all had to help. 
That's amazing. So I, what I heard you say is a couple a couple key principles there that I, um, I just wrote them down because I think that despite the situations that we're in, I think that they are pervasive across everybody's context. But, you know, you had people that would come and kind of steal from you guys, take advantage of you. You didn't know any better. And rather than fighting back, you stuck with this principle that your mom taught you, this never fight for material things. And and Erica, you know, I'm not sure what Mexican culture is like, but in the United States, we live in a very litigious culture where everybody is suing everybody or trying to get vengeance on everybody for the things that they feel like they have, you know, for perpetrators of an offense that somebody has done against them. And, and I love your kind of like... Uh, uh, your approach that's like, you know what? God's going God's gonna to take care of us. He's going to be our avenger. You know, He's going to make sure that uh, all accounts are settled uh, on our behalf. I think that's, that's remarkable, and it's an unbelievable principle to live by. And, and if, we, if we could all, especially in the Christian world, operate a lot more under that principle rather than trying to take vengeance into our own hands, um, you know, you guys have seen you know, right now, as you guys stand, you guys are very blessed as a family because you didn't let those things rip you apart, rip you apart as a family. Um, you guys are very blessed in this business. And I mean, it's still continuing to flourish and it's being, it's just God's blessing in tremendous ways. And I think if people would just take that approach and go, we're going to let God be our avenger. He's going to bless. He's going to settle accounts. He's going to separate the tears from the wheat. That I just, am, I'm amazed by that that you guys at such a young age had that intuition to know how to, to follow a biblical principle like that. Yeah. Well, you know, even, um, family members, um, took advantage mm. of us. And that was really hard because my dad tried to help his brothers and sisters and then they, uh, um, didn't watch over us. They just, you know, took what, whatever they could. Wow. So we, we talked among ourselves and we said, we will never let, any material thing tears apart. We will, we will never, we're never going to fight over money. Our relationship and our love is stronger and is more important than any, anything, any, any material thing. So, and we've done it because um, we work together, you know, in this family business and it keeps growing and growing. And whenever there's a, like a, a problem related to material things we have to say okay i prefer to have a good relationship with my brother than to fight over this and we have really been blessed by god he's kept us safe and together and we can feel that he loves us you know mm-hmm. um, even though we've had a rough life we we feel blessed and loved by god and i and, think well and even with that i think it's so easy to get bitter at mm-hmm. family members or even friends who would take advantage of you it would just be so easy to say this is if this is my one experience then every other experience would prove true and that's the opposite of you guys because i remember when i lived there you invited me multiple times to go and even just to, to, to do behind the scenes and to hold all the animals and be around them and you didn't have to here i am this american girl that's not even from mexico that's just your son's teacher and you guys opened me in your homes for all the holidays mm-hmm. um you invited me to your church i mean you guys just were such a blessing to me in a time where i could have been really lonely and had nobody mm-hmm. and you made sure 
that you opened your your home to me. And that just shows that you didn't let bitterness uh, just rot you guys, that you decided, okay, well, we've been blessed, so we're going to be a blessing. And, and that's huge. Yeah, it's so huge because you're continuing to extend your arms and trust, even though now certainly there are boundaries that have to be put in place when people take advantage of you, but you're extending forgiveness. You're re- refusing to get bitter over it. And I'm just, I'm fascinated by it. It's remarkable because especially in situations where, you know, parents pass away and there's inheritance money and there's wills and there there is nothing that tears a family apart, in, especially in the United States, more than if you throw a will right in the middle of the family. It's unbelievable what will happen in a moment of tragedy because people aren't clear-headed, because they're not following um, the principles that you guys were following, saying, no, our relationships, our love, our unity is way more important than material things. We cannot take these material things beyond the grave. We cannot take them. I mean, you're not going to see, uh, what's the old adage? You're not going to see a U-Haul, U-Haul behind a hearse, you know, like mm-hmm. we're not taking any of this with us, but our relationships are still going to be intact in heaven. And so why in the world would we allow material things on this earth to rip apart our relationships? And I just wish that there were more family patriarchs and matriarchs that would step up in the middle of these situations and go, no, no, we're not going to do, we're not going to let these these financial things, this greed tear us apart. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed. I'm impressed. And I'm very proud of you guys, Erica, for doing that. And just, um, just so cool. I'm also impressed with this. The other principle that I heard you say is this idea of you submitting to an authority and a process, um, especially specifically your sister who was two years older than you, when you could have just gone completely autonomous, done your own thing, you know, just gone whatever, but, but out of unity, the group of the, 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 the collective group of you guys said, no, if we're going to not just survive this thing, but if we're going to thrive in it, we're going to have to do this together. And we're going to have to live a little bit abnormal than the rest of our friends and the rest of the people in our culture. And man, if that's not just the message of the gospel and Christianity and Christian community, I don't know what is because it doesn't make it so countercultural what you guys did, but it's so in line with scripture and, and, and it's so apparent that God's been blessing you guys because of it. Yeah, really. Yeah. Well, the love that we have, you know, among the brothers and sisters is so big, bigger than anything. So if what can I do to help my, my sister to be there and, and do my part because you don't want to, we've already have suffered enough. Mm. We don't want to, you know, make it worse. So, and you guys are better together. Mm. Exactly. Exactly. We're stronger and better together. Mm-hmm. Erica, can I put you on the spot? I don't, I wasn't planning on asking you this, but um, it just kind of triggered a question that surely your mom and dad, as you guys were growing up, taught you guys some really important principles that you guys drew from when this tragedy came up. And I'm thinking of it from a parent's perspective going, okay, how can I teach my kids some important principles that if something were to happen to heaven forbid to Christy and I, they would be able to band together. They would know what it looks like to still be a family. Do you recall any kinds of just like things, principles and lessons that stuck out that your parents taught you that really helped to forge this kind of mindset in you guys? Well, we have these um, values among the brothers and sisters that uh, we didn't realize that we had, but um, we do. Like we have the, whenever there were cookies, for example, everyone would want to grab a cookie, but there was one left, uh, one cookie left. 
And nobody would take that because we wanted the other brother or sister to take it. So, or apples or anything. So we would always leave one um, cookie there because um, we were thinking of our brother or sister who wanted it. So we're trying to teach those uh, things, those values that we learned along the way to our kids, you know. So the last cookie, nobody takes the last cookie because you want the best for, for the other person. And we try to teach our kids those things that we learned maybe the hard way. And we try to um, uh, make them to be united among the the, all the cousins are super united, like we were, like brothers and sisters, because we want them to feel supported by them. And we always um, tell them, you're never going to fight over money or over anything. And uh, we try to pass along these things that we, uh, that we learn, you know, try to uh, get the best for your brother or sister. Even though if you don't have it, you want the best for them. Mm. Wow. I just wrote that down. Leave the last one. That's the last cookie. You may, you guys may not realize this. That's a very biblical principle. In the Old Testament, when they were harvesting the fields, they were told to leave the the last little bit, the gleanings, for those who were less fortunate, for the mm -hmm. poor, to be able to come through the fields and take all, take some of that. And I think that's so true. It just it writes that into the into the DNA of, you know, our hearts that says, Hey, we're we're not gonna like be greedy and we're not gonna we're gonna actually think about other people's needs um, before we think about our own. And you can tell that you guys have taught your kids that because, I mean, I had your son for a year in my classroom and I remember, and I'm just hoping, I doubt she listens to this podcast because she does not speak English. But <laughs> Should we had, do like a Spanish translation of this? <laughs> that would be really cool. He had us another Spanish teacher. So just for everyone that they would know, like he had me for half of the day in English and then he would go to um, the Spanish teacher for the other half of the day. And the kids did not want to leave my classroom because they just didn't love this specific teacher. And they would always be like, no, we don't want to go. We want to stay. And Antoine was the only, Antoine is her son's name. Antoine was the only kid that would say, guys, maybe she's just having a bad day hmm. or maybe, and he would just always think of her and he was nine years old mm -hmm. and he would always think about this specific teacher and maybe her feelings and why she was acting the way she was. And I'm just sitting here thinking, man, his family, his parents are amazing. And I remember every time I would hang out with you, Erica, and you would talk about your dad and your mom. I used to think, gosh, I just wish I could have met them because they seem amazing because of what, who you are today. Mm. And so you, you really are teaching your kid those values because they, it shows and they, they show it to everybody else around them. Thank you, Christy. Well, as I said, you were really a true blessing to us. Um, and you helped not only my son, but a lot of other kids. Mm. So mm. I'm so thankful for you and because you were the best thing that happened to Antoine that year. Oh, thank you. Erica, this has been a remarkable interview, remarkable story. I, I mean, I'm just so impressed. I'm so inspired by you and your family. You. Um, I would agree. Antoine is a very impressive young man. Uh, when we met him at the wedding, I was very impressed by him. Even with all the whirlwind of craziness that we had going mm -hmm. on in our lives, he stuck out to me. And uh, we so appreciate you guys coming to that and, and sharing that experience with us. That means the world to us. We so appreciate you being on the podcast with us. And uh, we most certainly are going to try to make our way to check out this safari. Yeah. Where, where can people find out more about 
the safari um, and what you guys do. Is there like a website? Is there a place that they can go check it out? It's called African Safari, African with an M. It's Africa from Africa and then C-A-M from my last name, Camacho. So it's Africam Safari. So I hope you guys can come visit us soon. We would be very, very happy to have you here. That would be awesome. We would love it. And again, thank you so much for spending time with us. We're so grateful for it. No, thank you for having me. Wow, that was an awesome interview. Erica. It was incredible. I love seeing how they trusted God despite all the loss that they walked through. Yeah. She was so nervous because of like the the language barrier, you know, and I'm like, girl, you spoke perfect English. This is amazing. She was so good. Yeah, she did an incredible job. And, you know, I thought it was so amazing to see how as young children and without a parent overseeing them, right. each of the siblings put their happiness and each other's happiness. And Mm. it led to such beautiful fruit. Yeah. They were so selfless with it. Uh, I just, I wrote down as she was talking about um, some of those like principles that they lived by and they were such simple principles, but I was like, these are principles that need to govern our households. You know, these are (laughs) incredible principles that, that can, they're transferable to our kids. I wrote um, never fight over material things. Hmm. To like instill within young kids this, uh, hey guys, this is this is fleeting. This is like, you know, all this stuff's going to be a garage sale item at one day. This is not stuff to fight over. This is not stuff to to end relationships over. You know, yeah. What a powerful exactly. tool, what a powerful principle. Uh, she said, submit to authority. Like, whoo, wow, we could spend hours talking about how we in our culture do not like the idea of authority and that God. God, God's the one that puts authority in place and he's, mm-hmm. he works through authority, submit to a process. Um, I mean, that idea of process unity. I mean, we do not real we do not understand unity and loyalty in our culture today. Um, and yet those are the things that God puts his hand a blessing on. And then that man, the last thing she said, the leave the last one, that principle of like, don't take the last cookie or don't take the last, like, that's amazing. I love that. Because I'm going to tell you right now, I'm, I'm usually the one taking the last cookie. <laughs> is, I'm like, I was so challenged by that. I was like, wow, okay, I'm very selfish. I need to leave the last one. So I've been mindful of that ever since I listened to, or ever since I had this conversation with Erica, I've been mindful of it. I think also something else that we need to put on the list, Davey, is that all of us go down and take a little trip through their African safari. Um, Afrikam. Yep, I'm there. I'm there. <laughs> you name the date, I'm there. That would be awesome. That'd be so much fun. Well, thanks so much, guys, for listening to this episode. We want to, as always, thank Sleeping at Last for providing all the music for us. You can download or stream his music where where music can be downloaded and streamed. And uh, thanks again, Ryan, for all the contribution there. And before we sign off, why don't you listen to this excerpt from the next episode of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. We had just dropped our boys off at the babysitter's house. Just, you know, a sweet mm-hmm. lady in our neighborhood yeah. who watched some of the other kids in our small group, their children. Right. And it was probably two streets over. And um, I'd, I think I'd, she'd, they'd only been there for about an hour and a half. Mm. Um, 
And so I had dropped them off that morning. Um, at the time, I was mommy blogging, and so I'd gotten yeah. this like cushion and pillow, baby cushion in the mail. So I had to take all these pictures. Mm. So that morning, I think I took like thirty-five pictures <laughs> of my third child. Which yeah. you know, if you right. have more than one child, you know that that's right. kind of rare. That's very rare. Yeah. <laughs> so I had all these pictures of her. Um, so we're hurrying out the door. I dropped the the three kids off at the babysitters, and then I go to school, and. Um, Jeff had finished his class early, so he ran to the post office to mail something for Mother's Day um, to my mom. And um, when I was in my office, I received a phone call from the babysitter, and um, she was you know, crying and kind of screaming into the phone, um, it's the baby, it's the baby, she's not breathing. And immediately, you know, my heart yeah. sunk. And I didn't know what to think. I... I I remembered, you know, like, oh, she's only three months. She can't be choking. Mm. You know, what What else could be going on? And and I just screamed, you know, call 911, call 911. You know, somebody, I'm going to, we're on our way. Yeah. And so I, I fumbled with my phone and I called Jeff at the post office. And I said, Jeff, it, it's Zoe. It's, it's, she's not breathing, you know, get there quick. Yeah. And, and I was literally about to drop that package for my mother-in-law, which ended up being a picture of her and her three grandkids. Mackenzie's an only child, so mm -hmm. these were her only grandkids. And I was dropping it in the about to drop it into the automated box. And I just grabbed the package and ran out. I'm I'm sure I looked really weird as mm -hmm. mid, you know, transaction running out. I couldn't even remember if I grabbed my card or not, you know, from the machine. And and I remember and I'm I'm running across the parking lot to the car. I had switched vehicles with my mom who also lives in our neighborhood. So I probably had driven by right around when all of this was going on, probably had driven by the babysitters around then. But I remember thinking and just telling God, God, please let me hold her one more time. Mm -hmm. And I immediately got this sense of eternity. 